1: Hey, hey, gang, welcome back to the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. This is the Code 47 podcast, uh, episode 94, uh, as I said, on the SFU podcasting network, which you can find off of our website at of the same name, um, where you can enjoy all of our shows on our network feed. So please pop over. I am joined, as always, by my intrepid co hosts Mr. Peter Stein. Number one or number, uh, you know what? I'm not numbering because you know you guys, you guys are you guys are you guys are equal in my heart. So Peter, you're up. You're up. How are you? Doing all right. Hey everybody. Excellent. And not at all to diminish. I'm talking to the fantastic K. K. How the heck are you?
2: Well, I don't know now. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm scrambling. I'm scrambling.
2: Typically Peter is in uniform. I am just wearing a corgi riding a dinosaur T-shirt. So
1: you know Which what? Great, so. You know what? I, I tell you what. When those on the Cerritos, when those Ritos tees are dirty, uh, I think that they wear that as kind of a second choice. That that's my okay. guess.
2: This is lower decks uniform right here.
1: Yeah, exactly. The lowest of the lower decks, and uh, we are joined by a uh, big, big friend, not only to this show and to our ongoing efforts over uh, on Patreon on per, on the personnel files where we've had. A A lot of great interviews entirely due to this individual. We're talking about Missy Merchant in the house. Missy, how are you doing today?
0: Uh, I'm doing all right. I don't know if it matters where my rank is, but I'm representing the ship today. I like it.
1: (laughs) Good deal. Yes, exactly. And uh, the three of us do belong to the USS Grand Petoskey, which is one of the biggest chapters of the Starfleet. Uh, Star Trek International fan club, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, Missy is always it's funny. I'm going to do the Patreon announcements in reverse uh, because Missy is one of our top tier patrons on our BFF level, along with Sean, Stella and Henry Nias out there in Minnesota. We're very grateful for you. Uh, The Friends with Benefits levels. We do have Brendan Meyer and on the Best Buds level is. Uh, Missy's friend, Jamie Prinkley, who joined us recently uh, after you two guys met down in Florida. So thank you, Missy, for helping grow the network. And and now you're on the network and you're just you're in all places all at once. So wild, wild, wild stuff. Well, cool. All right. Well, we're going to jump right in. We've been waiting almost a year for this episode since probably last. I'm going to say March or April when the news was dropped that, The cast of, you know, the the entirety of the Classic Seven of the Star Trek The Next Generation cast would be coming back to star trek picard for its third and final season so we've been waiting we've been getting teases we've been getting trailers images this thing that thing it's just phenomenally exciting and now it's here now we've all seen the first episode so missy as our guest of honor how would you feel about summarizing what uh this episode for us before we get the conversation rolling
0: uh, that's a lot of pressure I was not prepared for. So uh,
1: that That is how this works. Sometimes <laughs> you just got to jump. Jump with us, my friend.
0: Um. So, you know, this season back 25th century, uh, Dr. Crusher and her son Jack are kind of attacked uh, upon the Helios. So when she becomes injured, she sends a distress message to Jean-Luc, who randomly happens to receive it on his very what twenty year old? I think you said. So <laughs> that, that,
1: that totally cracked me up because I, I saw somebody post on social media like, "How would you like to be an older, like a senior citizen, having all these badges around your house, and they just randomly going off, and you're looking? For, it's not like you could get like find my phone. You go through boxes and noise oh, it under this thing? I mean, it seems like a a bad setup." But anyway, I
2: find my phone didn't work because it was like, computer. Where's this coming from? She's like, I don't know. I love finding it. You did try.
1: <laughs> it's, it's annoying. Can't you hear it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. So you take what you can get. But.
1: All right. Well, I'll tell you what, I will uh, I will relieve some of the pressure of you and I will I will continue. We, you know, we can tag team this deal. I'll read a bit, then I'm going to kick it over to Kay, then Peter, you can finish us up. Take advantage of the fact that there's four of us. So, uh, All four so, yeah.
0: members of the crew, by the way. You said three. Just saying. Oh my, you know
1: what? Because you get so locked into it just being the three of us, so shame on me. Um, so anyway, uh, Picard uh, does find his old dusty comm badge and uh, later on with the help of Will Riker when they're sitting at Guinan's bar in in Los Angeles, which don't get me talking about the fact that there really shouldn't be a Los Angeles in the 25th century because it got washed away in the 21st century. But I digress. The two of them start talking about the message. They decode it. Um, but Beverly had said uh, to Jean-Luc, don't trust anyone. Don't send Starfleet, but come and rescue me. Um, so they're able to use a, a secret code that Riker has to basically figure out the coordinates of where she's at. Um, but then what they need to do is get a Starfleet, ship to get them there. Uh, and what happens from there, Peter?
3: Well, we go and they board the not newly minted, but newly built, I guess. New it, Titan A. It's, it's not really, really clear how old it is.
1: It's really weird to me because they make it sound like a refit, but much like our own USS Grand Petoskey, if you follow the the lineage from our website, the, the, the Grand Petoskey, which is The ship, which is the namesake, used to be a Galaxy class ship, but it was refitted and then it got a new registry number. So, potentially, this is kind of the same thing, but it's a totally different style of what the old Titan looked like. So, but whatever.
3: Yeah, that's a space frame nitpick, which I'll I'll mention later. But they pour the Titan on the pretense of a surprise inspection and uh, attempt to get the captain to change course so they can visit where Beverly is. This does not go well yeah he, he ain't having yeah. it yeah does not go well at all the first officer is 709 who is now compelled to go by annika hansen uh, and she decides to disobey her captain's orders and take them to where they need to go anyway and I'm sure she's going to get chomped later.
1: Maybe so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, uh, okay, so, yeah, and, uh, Kay,
1: talk to me about that awesome dining room scene where they're, they're dealing with Captain Shaw, or as I have dubbed him, Captain Dickbud. Don't care for him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely setting him up to be the character you love to hate. Uh, he's very by the book, very this is my ship, my rules. Uh, starts eating dinner with before they even get in the room, saying that their reputation has preceded
3: them. So rude.
2: So far ahead of them that he decided to start early. Um, so he is a very by-the-books guy. He's very uh, passive-aggressive in his critiques of Riker and Picard and their past exploits. Um, in the meantime, you have kind of a side mission going on with uh, Rafi, where she's working as an undercover intelligence agent for... Uh, Starfleet. She's trying to find some sort of super warp weapon uh, that, from my understanding, hasn't really, wasn't part of any of the previous seasons. I didn't remember anything about this. So
1: at least from the trailer they they had kind of the money shot of the, the domed building collapsing without yeah. any context. So that that was it, but yeah, you, you got so no glimpse. Yeah, no glimpse. Yeah.
2: She's looking for something called the Red Lady. You find out later that that's has to do with the attack that's going to take place on Starfleet. And so in the meantime we have two very opposite stories that are going on which obviously will, you know, converge at some point. Right. Oh, and it ends with us finding out that surprise, Beverly has another kid, and gosh, he's almost 20. And for some reason, British accents are genetic in this world. (laughs)
1: It's so funny because April and I were rewatching it this morning, and I said, uh, Well, if that's. Picard's son, because, I mean, let's face it, we're all really leaning into the fact that we feel like it's Picard's kid, um, he did explain to us that after World War II, his family abandoned Chateau Picard. They relocated to England, where they lived for several generations, which means the family's French accent post-1940s France became a British accent by the time... British- to- And that
2: makes sense for him. However, if this kid has been being raised for 20 years with Beverly, why the... Does he have a British accent?
1: <laughs> you know, hypothetically speaking, he had a stepdad or another male influence or somebody else around him who had a British accent. However, that seems a little bit of a stretch. So yeah, we um, don't
0: know how she talked to him off camera either. So maybe she tried <laughs> to keep up that lineage. <laughs>
1: oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because there, it's funny because we we see uh, I don't think he actually gets named on screen though. They do drop the name Jack here. Does he say his name? Because she doesn't say his name. Because Beverly, who is wounded in this, you know, in the opening salvo, because.
2: His name. We do What's... not actually see him until he um, is in the last scene, like scene, quote unquote, with um Picard
1: and in re- where he's holding a record gunpoint. Yeah, he doesn't come out and say, and my name is Jack. But because, yeah, the the, uh, the um, and I love that opening montage that opens with the episode. Uh, you're seeing this long, slow camera grab across all these mementos that are Beverly. She actually has in a glass case, uh, a footlocker that has Jack Crusher, her first husband's or her her. Deceased husband, because you don't know she and Picard were never married. You don't know that, but again, you don't know that she didn't remarry. She could have been, but then again, she also could have been some kind of like Linda Hamilton esque Sarah Connor, you know, run and gun person for the last twenty years. You know, raising the the John Connor of the the Star Trek universe. Who knows? We've seen one episode, but you, you see all this stuff and but then she she lives on this crappy looking ship that has to like it, it, it's it's like somebody driving a 72 pinto got to really crank it to get the warp engine working and and meanwhile she gets boarded by these weird aliens uh in creepy masks and it's just what a wild setup to getting this whole thing rolling you know what i'm saying it's just more questions than there ever could be answers <laughs> kind of get the ball rolling with this so um Okay, so that's that's the first episode in. Um, Any any further thoughts before we kind of jump into doing? You know, look look forward. Like, what's everybody's two cents? Uh, Let's start. We'll start with we'll start with Missy since you started reading first. So, overall vibe of the episode. How you feeling?
0: I'm feeling more hopeful than pretty much any episode in season two so far. So I feel like <laughs> yeah. they, they actually, this feels a lot more, I don't want to say like Star Trek-esque, but it feels a lot more true to what the actual storyline would have been from Next Gen. So I'm hopeful for that.
3: Right. For sure. Uh, Peter. Um, I am. I know that last time I said I was, you know, not super excited. I am now cautiously optimistic. Wow, it's a I, ste- it's a step in a direction. I know, the the main thing is like I liked episode 1 of season 2 and then it, Right. I I kind of feel the same I'm, way. So I'm sitting here going like you did really well on this one. I have some questions about Beverly. Like there's some things I didn't like about that, but Right. Please don't screw
1: it up. I mean, I would go so far to say that with both of the previous seasons, we had a nice, strong, rolling setup where you're like, all right, we got a lot of promise. We're going to do a lot of stuff. Uh, Season one on the balance – delivered more so because you had the story of of doll uh, and now I'm forgetting the the the, the Android twins. Yeah. Yeah. Dollar dot. What was it? It was a dollar dash. I can't remember. Doll is (laughs) from prodigy. Oh, my bad. Thank you. Thank you. You see all the D.A. like d d a t a like data, which is funny. That's kind of how that rolled out. That was there was a lot of promise in that. um, And I feel like while season one could have been better i feel like they they kind of delivered on that but with season two where you had this great big like oh my god it's gonna be so great and then just just right off a cliff you know for 10 episodes but anyway we've talked about that kind of ad nauseum. so uh kay what do you got um
2: yeah i'm i'm i i'm a little bit more critical than i was coming into it because the storyline with Rafi seems very very messy like incorporating her the way that they are Mm -hmm. i wish that it would have been something where just on the news like it just popped up that they saw this happen versus being this weird like underground type of thing and you know they're having her you know back again dealing with substance abuse and being in an underground area and i don't know if it's just the direction that they're having her do like the direction that they're giving her but i just never really feel there's just something about Rafi where I'm just like, I just can't like connect with her as a character. I'm not sure if it's the acting. I'm not sure if it's the right direction they're giving, but everything always feels a little forced.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay.
2: yeah, I just, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant because it seems very sloppy with how they're putting these stories together, even though it seems interesting.
1: So, gotcha. Okay. Also,
2: this again, this feels completely isolated from the previous two seasons. It does. So I'm like, where are you trying to bring this in? Is this going to be something that comes together? I mean, they didn't connect season two to season one at all. So mm-hmm. maybe this is just a whole new story. And the ideas that we were having, and you know, the theory crafting of oh, you know, they're partnering with the Borg. So when the Sentinel, you know, when the Sentinels come back, right? That'll, you know, be able to band together and show that organics and you know ai can work together so you know maybe there's a whole new thing but i really wish that they didn't try to build this weird it feels very much like season two where they just had a bunch of threads unraveling all the time and they had no idea how to put them together
1: yeah there's that aspect of it my initial thought and peter you and i talked about this earlier in the week is that for the TNG fan was like, oh, my God, I grew up like all of us. I grew up watching TNG and I absolutely love it. But, you know, I saw that last movie like we talked about Nemesis here on this program a few months ago. And it was just we hated it. And after that, you were just like, you know what? I'm giving up on Star Trek. I'm done. And let's say they just they walked away from Star Trek for. 20 years this show came back on they were like well you know should i go back i don't really i don't know if i need another streamer in my life but then this hypothetical individual here's a year ago wow they're bringing back all the tng cast maybe they're going to get it right again so they tuned in but then they said oh man should i watch previous seasons i don't have time blah 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 and they tune into this episode in a lot of ways the you know the, the the somewhat tentative ties reaching backwards, Kate, to your point to the previous seasons in some ways are not a hindrance. Like okay, here is Picard; he's an admiral. They don't really make mention of the fact that he's a golem; he's an android. It's not important to the story. At this point, anyway, um, he's, you know, he's having a romance. He's living at home. Uh, here's Riker. He mentions, you know, that Troy and he has a child and they're back at home. And uh, detecting a little marital discord there. He said, well, I'm sure that Deanna and, and Kestrel would be just fine with the that. time away from me. I was kind of like, what? They seemed really solid when we saw them before. So what's what's yeah. the scoop? Again, I don't know. That was just
2: season two conflict for conflict's sake.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or so, yeah. A, w- or it's a misdirect. Could be. They. If I mean, he was playing watch, the trombone too loud, and it was like, okay, just take a break. If yeah. You
2: watch the little teaser at the end of like this is what's happening in season like the rest of the season. The there's a part season. where she's like yelling at him, and she's like, "You dropped me and everything just when Picard came, you know, calling for you."
3: Oh, well, exactly. I didn't notice. Much. I didn't see that part. Okay. I didn't yeah, see that and, part either. Where,
1: where, where was? I'll, I'll go back and watch. Where was it? That?
2: that was at the end of the um like after the credits
1: really oh my god you know what you hear about something like that again don't keep it to yourself because i didn't know
2: (laughs) i assume that everybody else watched it because y'all are like on top of stuff usually i mean i I watched it (laughs) i just you know because the credits
1: the credits are rolling and then they try they pop out and they try to make you watch something else and Mm -hmm. i'm like all right cool well i'll turn it off but i did watch the ready room uh, which I am never fond of, and I probably mentioned all of you guys. I met Will Wheaton in Chicago at Mission Chicago. Thought he was a super great guy. His persona when he does that show drives me up the wall. Sorry, Will. I'm sure you'll never hear this show, but it just kind of. But anyway, it, I watched that because he had, a, he had an interview with uh, with Gates and with Sir Patrick, and then he had Terry Metalis on afterwards. And Terry Metalis is the dude. I'm I'm super enthused by that guy. Uh, and turns out he started his career as a PA on Voyager like 25 years ago. He started as a lowly go get me coffee kind of guy, and now he's running Star Trek as a showrunner for for this program. So I'm really, really enthused about that. So, OK, um, let's wrap this up with a, a, a series of four questions. Everybody gets one answer. Um, we're going to go uh, season. Look forward. Hopes, fears, bold prediction, lame prediction. <laughs> we'll start again uh, in the fashion that we have. Missy, I'm going to toss you a first. We'll go around Robin. So give me a hope for season three of Picard, the finale, the final season.
0: Uh, I hope that it doesn't turn into like following in with the first three seasons. I hope it doesn't wrap up a tragic trilogy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the trilogy of tragedy. That sounds like a, what is that? Panic at the disco. Wasn't that one of their albums? I don't know. I, mean,
3: I, have, no, I have no clue. Peter. Um, I'm going to go full idealism on this one. And I'm going to hope that they do a good story with the crew. Give them a good send off, like undiscovered country for TOS and, Maybe set up the next generation
1: of- a new program. yeah, that's that's my vibe as well. Kay.
2: Um I hope that I get um, Warf for more than one episode. Yes, please. Because he he's my favorite. Um, I understand. <laughs> and that they oh, don't uh, drop the threads like they did in the previous seasons and right. able to keep it coherent
1: too many threads on the floor all right um i feel like the fear oh and mine will be um yeah i want i want a satisfactory conclusion that leads us to something greater that happens in this time frame Um, and that keeps our our next generation rolling because we've got that great spread of you know where we were prequel ish we're in between quill ish with tos and 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 the strange new worlds era Uh, we've got things going on just post TNG with Lower Decks and with Prodigy, and then we've got the 32nd Century with Discovery, which I assume is going to potentially be the next thing we get back. So, I would like to see something that happens in this super early 25th century time period that that keeps some of this momentum, you know, if we get great momentum that it, that it keeps going, that it doesn't go off a cliff. So, um, fears. Again, I feel like we're going to kind of have all the same fear, but Missy, I mean, I'm go gonna- with the obvious if you have to, it's fine by me. <laughs>
0: Actually, my fear for this is that they're going to have some form of major core character death, but not so much that they'll have it. But if they have it and they have it so unnecessarily where it didn't have to happen or it was no point in the plot.
1: Like Kirk's death in Generations. I fell off a bridge or excuse me, I wrote a bridge. Whee! Bridge on the captain, yeah. Bridge on the caddy bridge. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, ouch. OK, Peter, what you got? Uh can I boil it down to one?
1: That is, yes, close your eyes. Use the
3: Force. am sorry, wrong franchise. So my fear is that it's going to go kind of the same route as the rest of the seasons where it has like some interesting ideas and then all of a sudden just drops them and forgets the characters and just kind of does its own thing. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of my fear is that we'll get kind of... Same old, same old of, hey, here's a good idea. And, uh, and soup sandwich.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> um, um, yeah, definitely along the same lines of, I am very worried that they will do like they did in season two, especially, which is betray the characters for the sake of moving the plot forward, where you end up yeah. with conflict and discord where there shouldn't be because it isn't in the way that the characters would normally behave. Um, especially because you have very established characters at this point. I'm like, yes, it's been 20 years. The
1: most established characters really. Yeah.
2: It yeah. really like th- the way that they're setting up with um, Troy and Riker. I'm already like, mm,
3: yeah, no,
2: that seem very much them, like, mm-hmm. especially when we saw, you know, Diana in season one where she was like, why wouldn't you help him? Of course you would help him. It's Picard.
1: Right. Exactly. So,
2: now she's pissed about it. It doesn't make any sense. So right. um, I'm really Beverly, worried like, about just that. Like,
1: mm. Yeah. And the whole, yeah, the whole Beverly, like, and I did she, we, nobody's ever heard from her in 20 years. That also really doesn't seem like her.
2: Yeah. Also, that is my big fear is that, um, that. I was really excited to have her back. Cause I was like, cool. We're finally going to be able to see Beverly when she's not defined by her motherhood. And then the first thing they do is introduce a son that we didn't know about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Not so much. Okay. Um, predictions. You know what? We'll boil this down for the sake of time. One, uh, you can either have a bold prediction or a lame prediction. So we'll go with Missy first.
0: Uh, I don't know if you want to qualify it as bold or lame, but I predict that somehow there's going to have the family dynamic between, like, this estrangement between parent and other children, between Picard and Rafi, and I don't know if it'll be like good that they're going to have this together or if it's going to be like a way to drive a wedge between them more. That's my prediction. This is that going to be a key point?
1: Gotcha. Closer together
3: or further apart? Peter? Um, I am going to lamely predict that we're going to have, that we're going to get a tie-in from season one that they've been talking about with the murder bots from outside the galaxy and that lore and moriarty are going to be involved to do some sort of dumbassery. <laughs> right
1: god yeah because this episode didn't didn't really even give you a tenuous uh description so okay yeah. okay well you you were winding up i could see you I, were like I,
2: peter kind of stole my thunder because they Sorry. are in that teaser they confirmed the lore yeah
1: so, yeah so yeah.
2: I'm I'm thinking that it's going to be a bold prediction. Hopeful prediction is that they are actually going to be able to still tie in these previous two seasons because there have been references to the Borg. Mm-hmm. Um, like they had that captain's log message From about the Borg.
1: Right, right. Okay. Yeah, a little tease. I didn't really think about that much.
2: Hopeful. That's my hopeful.
1: Right. And it was it was interesting. You're right. And that really ties back to it's like, why is she listening to his, you know, log from, you know, 35 years ago and probably because she's thinking about the Borg and thinking about tech because she's on the run. And why is she on the run? So, yeah, you're right. I You know, I kind of roll Everything you guys say in together saying, you know, yes, I, I fear that there could be something off character for the most established characters and really all you know, people who have had more screen time than than the TOS characters, which were the most established and the, the most probably people outside of the franchise really think of Kirk, Spock and McCoy. But those of our of our you know kind of muddled generation, because I'm the oldest and you guys are all in your 30s. Um, That you know, TNG is is really the bedrock of how a lot of us became big Star Trek fans. So yeah, I I am fearful uh, that 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 could be messed up as well. But you know, like as I said, I I have journalist friends. Uh, I my journalist friend Kurt Krug, who's a member of the chapter, has got, got that media screener, watched it, and said it's great. It's you know, you know, there are some things like Peter had mentioned that I wasn't crazy about choices they made, but on the balance, it's great. So, you know, and other people who have seen that same screen are are kind of echoing that. But, you know, that's what journalists are supposed to do. So you can't really trust it until you see it with your own eyes. So. um, So. All right. okay. well, that is uh, that is the end of talking about Picard. We will be back in two weeks, talk about episode two and three. And we're going to bid adieu to Peter. Uh, Peter, where do people find you out there on the interwebs?
3: You can find me in various places at Petrus Aquinas. Uh, You can also find me over on ELH's channel playing a uh, Vulcan engineer now.
1: Ooh, a Vulcan engineer. Tra-la-la. All right. Well, we will take a brief pause for station identification, and we'll be back to talk about part one of Deep Space Nine, season one. So stand by. All right, we're back for uh, the first part of Deep Space Nine, the 1994 to 1995 season. Season three. This was uh, my freshman year at Michigan State. Uh, So, and this was also the fall of 1994. Uh, because TNG had ended, this was a standalone uh, series of Star Trek at that time. Until Star Trek Voyager started in January of ninety-five, so DS Nine was was the only game in town. Um, so, and to a lot of people, and it's funny because I just in watching that recent um, Star Trek documentary uh, of people who, while well, I lived in a town that didn't have UPN, um, it, a lot of people thought kind of thought Star Trek ended with TNG if they weren't avid fans, because it just wasn't that easy to find because this was in syndication, but it was, I mean, it's such a starkly different, uh, series than, um, than TNG. But again, that's why I loved it. So anyway, I'm going to get this kicked off, uh, talking about the search, Part one, uh, which was directed by Kim Friedman, story by Ira Stephen Baer and Robert Hewlett-Wolf. Those are two of the the mainstays, kind of the the bedrock dudes of Deep Space Nine, and teleplay by Ron D. Moore, who I am very excited to miss when we get to Vegas this summer of meeting him. That That's the first creator that I'm like, I really want a picture with him or an autograph. I'm going to do something because I love this dude's work. Uh, Kay and I talked recently about his um, uh, miniseries of Battlestar Galactica that started that show off again, and I just... I love what he does so anyway cisco takes the new uss defiant into the gamma quadrant to find the mysterious leaders of the dominion and to avert a war while odo is having a bit of a midlife crisis or or kind of a teenage freak out whatever you want to call it and he's drawn by instinct towards his home planet in the omarian nebula in the gamma i was gonna say in the delta quadrant in the gamma quadrant um Wow, we got—we uh, definitely got some changes in this one. Little tweaks to the uniform. The—the the undershirts were super purple. Which I thought was, yeah I, yeah, I thought it was a weird look um, that, and again, uniform nitpick. So it's not to talk about the story, but I thought it was a weird look. And I don't I don't know it lasted. The, if it lasted the whole season, it certainly didn't last into the one after that. And we got the famous uh, new Combat design, which was done because Star Trek Generations, the first Star Trek film, uh, came out that I'm going to say November, December of 1994. So they wanted a new look in that regard, even though they stuck with the same uniforms. If you watch Generations, they're wearing both these uniforms, which were super borrowed (laughs) from the DS9 set. Riker is wearing Cisco's outfit in that. Um, Jordy is wearing O'Brien's outfit in that. So, it's just like, really, guys? Cough up a couple of extra bucks. And what what a real bummer is is that if you if you look at Star Trek Generation's in any of the background, they had these really super cool new uniforms designed that went so far into production that there's a line the, the action figures that playmates... Produced for Star Trek: Generation has them in these cool new uniforms, which is such such a bummer. But anyway, I'm a bit off topic. Um, this was a cool two-parter, without a doubt. I thought this was a great way to start it. Season two ended with the introduction of the Jem'Hadar and the the Vorta, who are we find out through into sorry, jumping ahead into the second part of this uh, are the you know weird little critters that uh, kind of purport themselves as being the heads of the Dominion, but they are not uh, because that's what gets revealed in this episode. So. Um, Yeah, guys, what did you think? Missy, jump Um, in.
0: uh, I thought it was a decent start to the season. I liked how they kind of brought some of the changes about uh, as far as the first part of it i'm not gonna lie one of my favorites is they when they have the initial debriefing uh with kira about trying to figure out if the dominion attacks what you know what is the likelihood how is ds9 going to handle and basically the end result is we're screwed <laughs> so,
1: we're, we're so, effed yeah great, great meeting guys thanks we could have <laughs> yeah. done this in an email <laughs>
0: <laughs> another meeting that could have been an email <laughs> Um, but no, and then of course Cisco gets to come in I don't want to say necessarily to the rescue, but be like But look at the new toy we have to play with Let's talk about this and what this can ha- can Happen with this
1: Right, Br- Brought in kind of pointedly because a lot of people Were like, what's the station? That you-? They have the little Runabouts, but it's like being excited about owning A Volkswagen Passat, you know what I mean? Ooh, it's not the same as the Enterprise, so they got to get You know, basically the Cadillac or You know, the Suburban, if you will, like the big beefy Like Rrr! ship with, you know Pew pew explosion torpedoes And stuff, and yeah, I mean, it just kind of really to spice things up so and off they go and we get our first um real taste of romulans in the series with this with martha hackett who's the same actor who plays seska in the first few seasons of voyager if you hadn't picked that out so i i think martha Hackett's pretty cool and but this was her first introduction to star trek and i think she made a great romulan because again she's great at playing you know kind of obnoxious villainous characters so it was a good fit so Kay, yeah um this one was really fun um
2: and I kinda of, I watch them back to back so my notes are kind of, you know, fuzzied together. Um, but I remember I was initially watching this and my first notes were why in the hell is this so choppy? What is going on? Because like you have just random like okay, and Cisco's back no explanation. Okay, got the ship. Okay, we've got like then they're in the room and they're doing this stuff. And it was very very cuz I'm like this feels like almost like a dream sequence or like it's not real. Like something <laughs> yeah. is crazy weird and I'm like this is really bad for kicking out the third season. And so I would say it's kind of gutsy for them to roll with this as their first episode because right. you find out later that you're basically seeing all this stuff from the perspective of them as they're in like
1: the dream tank in the in the second part. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Um and so then all of that makes sense. Is you're like, oh, okay, that wasn't just really bad directing there was a reason for it
1: <laughs> right and i'll tell you what just to simplify things i mean part two which is a direct can- continuation because at the end of part one uh we end up with uh cisco or excuse me odo and kira have escaped in into shuttlecraft uh after the defiant was founded attacked by the gem hadar uh you know i'll just go ahead and read this part two is directed by jonathan frakes yay um i think his first ds9 uh, assignment because it was this was again just post um Post the end of TNG, uh, same writers. Uh, the teleplay in this case was done by Iris Steven Bear, and obviously uh, aired the following week. And it takes place the you know the the real time sequence of it is just Odo and Kira on the Changeling planet, but the inside of it is like you said, uh, it's what we ultimately find out is a fantasy where um, you start with a shuttle with Cisco and Bashir have been limping through space, uh, and they get rescued by Dax and O'Brien, who in the first part that, you know, they went to a Dominion com relay and got captured and really everybody got captured and they ended up in these brain think tank things, which is, that's a sci-fi trope that's been not only in every Star Trek, but really in, feels like, you know, every Doctor Who or, you know, Red Dwarf or, you know, Babylon 5 or whatever. I don't know. And any Mm -hmm. sci-fi show you can think of, they always have the, the dream like unibrain like, and at the end it's a Bobby in the shower scene, which is a Dallin's reference if you don't get it. I liked that show, but it was it was seriously 80s um, kind of deal. But yeah, you get you know th- that if the Dominion tried kind of this sly takeover, you get back you know one of the bad admirals from TNG, which is Admiral Nachev, who I met that actress at an early con I went to, and she was she was a hoot. I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, but that, that essentially, you know, this slide takeover of the Dominion uh resulted in uh alienating the uh, the Romulans, which is a bad idea, and then essentially the Federation giving up the wormhole in Deep Space Nine and their efforts to bring Bajor into the Federation, which is Cisco's entire, you know, purpose in his career is to is to to be there for Bajor because he really loves Bajor and obviously wants them um to be part of everything, so um, yeah, I I think it's a pretty satisfactory two-parter. And at the end of it, it's obviously revealed that the changelings, of which Odo is a part of but not really aware of, are the heads of the Dominion, and this is all their big master plan. And so, a little bit of an identity crisis for Odo. And at the end of it, obviously they you know the defiance in orbit, and they go home, and blah blah blah, and, and life goes on. So um, yeah. I, to me it's a to me it's it's a classic but obviously you know yes it functions better as a a single parter, as every really every really every cliffhanger does so um mm-hmm. other thoughts guys
2: um, I did really enjoy the struggle that odo had while he was on the change league planet because of course you're finding them as the founders and it's really kind of Two sides of the same coin, where you know him and Mama Changeling have this really great conversation.
1: (laughs) We're going to call her Mama Changeling when it's like they, you know, when the changelings change together and go. It's kind of sexual, you
2: know. We're just we're we're gonna. She refers to him as a child several times.
1: It's very sexually confusing. And and again, as the series goes on during the whole Dominion War arc in season six, when they're on, they're on the, you know, they're on the station because Starfleet is pulled out. Uh, I hate, hated to say pull out. Sorry. That's a
0: bad <laughs> reference where this is going. Especially with Mama Changeling.
1: Yeah. Of, Ma, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of sexual confusion with uh, uh, Salome Jens who plays the Mama Changeling um, yeah. and her relationship with Odok. But um, yeah. But anyway. I (laughs) think
2: it was based off of the dialogue. It seems like it was supposed to be played off more of the like mother child relationship. But yeah, I will agree, like their weird hugging and stuff. I'm like, is this is this like mama or like mama? Like (laughs) what
0: (laughs) is (laughs) this?
1: Who, uh, Mama? We'll leave, we'll mama leave, said. We'll
2: what people think as far as her name, Mama Changeling. What that Mama means? Okay, <laughs> Ma-
1: Mama Mia. That's but, what that means. Damn. <laughs> back to my
2: original point.
1: By all means, uh,
2: I did really enjoy the conversation and the challenge that she broached with Odo, where she was saying, "You know, you believe in order," and he's like, "No, I believe in justice," and she's like, "What's the difference?" Mm. And it really shows that Odo is like he is lawful good for sure. Like that right. is his alignment. That is what Odo does. And the founders are fascists. Like, their order is they're in charge. It right. doesn't matter what happens in the meantime, as long as they're the ones who are making the decision, that's what they determine order is. Where Odo is very much like, you know, he's fascist light.
1: <laughs> he can
2: change his mind.
1: <laughs> like you Bud know. Light? Yeah, okay. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Odo Light. Um, and he definitely is a stickler for the rules. Like, he sometimes, you know, is a little bit too harsh with the way that he wants to penalize people, very cop-friendly, but also knows where to draw the line and can and will listen if someone is like, hey, Odo, like we need to consider this. And it's never something where he's even when the Cardassians were in charge, he never saw the Bajorans as any less. And he thought that they should be treated equally to the Cardassians.
1: Right. Right. Right, right, right. Well, Missy, your thoughts? Well, just, just roll it all in to the two-parter, what do you think? Good, good, uh, good way to get things rolling as the being, you know, DS9 being kind of the only game in town for the, you know, three-month period until Voyager came out?
0: Uh, by the time of the end of the two-parter, I feel like it was a, a good start. Um, kind of like with Kay, though, I really did feel for Odo as far as, you know, the complete dichotomy of feeling like the outsider, then, oh, crap, these are my people. That's so cool crap they're actually not that great so maybe i don't need this fit, toxic family so i'm just gonna step back where <laughs> i was anyway so right there was a lot of boundaries so, yeah right.
1: <laughs> yeah in, in essence he learned a lot but he learned that you know what i got going on is pretty okay and let's just you know yeah you know people tell you well you know he's you know they're your family and and you know family blood is thicker than water blood is definitely not thicker than water with the changelings because they're all goo so blood is not thicker than goo. It's all goo. It's not thicker than water. It's very viscous. I, I don't know. It's there's, there's a lot of a lot of confusion I feel going like on. We're
2: going back down to the mama changeling territory that we should probably
1: not address. Oh yes, yeah. So the goo is yeah. The, the goo is oh god. The goo is the word. I realized I hadn't uh, named this episode. So yeah, goo is the word. <laughs> okay so let's uh let's mercifully let's, move on
0: let's pull out yeah. from these two episodes Oh and move on. God! <laughs> ouch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well missy you have just earned yourself the right to uh jump into the house of quark which just happens to be behind you so uh take it away
0: yeah quite possibly one of my favorite episodes from this season if not one of the entireties it might probably make like my top five for ds9 but the house of quark uh directed by les lando and written by tom benko and it starts out as many of Quark's scenes do in his bar, and he's kind of deciding what he's going to do with this overly obnoxiously drunk Klingon Kozak, who feigns an attack. I will say feigns an attack on Quark because we can't really say actually tries to attack him. Uh, ends up killing himself by falling in much probably the way that my Klingon death would look,
3: <laughs> um,
0: which um, you know of course Quark takes advantage of as the Klingon Slayer essentially of DS Nine, only to have Goseix Widow come back and claim him as you are now part of our nation and you will now be the head of my household.
1: <laughs> it, claim? Did she? Did she? Yeah. Did she lick him and like like the pillow and the, that was a famous story my son and my stepson april's son when he Where was a kid uh, <laughs> hold on they were in a department store he's like i want this new pillow april said no you don't get this new pillow and then he licked it well it's mine now was the logic of 18 year old so there you go
0: okay i mean for for klingon i say essentially yes she claimed him so as much as a klingon mm. warrior princess ever will
1: Warrior Princess. Oh, nice. Oh, my goodness. And this episode also gave us the first uh, DS9 appearance of Gowron, uh, who I'll get to meet. If he's not on the cruise, because April and I are kicking off to the cruise in just a few days. But I know he's going to be in in Grand Rapids Comic Con, either in the spring or the fall show. That's something that so we'll we'll all potentially get a chance to meet him potentially. Um, But, yeah, this was the beginning of his run on DS9, where he played a much more important part than he did in, in TNG including up to and including his death spoiler alert sorry that does happen at the end of the series womp womp i know ouch
0: damn it charlie
1: i know sorry i've just gone and spoiled something from 20 years ago my bad (laughs) womp womp 25 years ago um so yeah this this was fun this was your typical kind of kind of quirky send up of of him doing quirky stuff um the elder the elder in the house was he was an actor from that guested from the original series he was in that great if you remember the uh it was the gamesters of triskelion it was like i bet 20 28 quite lose on the newcomer okay you'll have no idea what we're talking about never mind yeah, no. don't, don't worry about it but yeah he was he was one of several and then we also I get, get him back and i'm
2: like okay yeah
1: <laughs> dude, 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 dude we also get him back in voyager playing a vulcan elder who advised Tuvok when tuvac was a was a teenager so um yeah I, I love seeing those weird like guest stars getting sucked back in uh to these like kind of like uh, diana moldar who's dr Pulaski. it was a, a couple of different characters in tos so anyway any any other thoughts about this before we move on
2: yeah um i gotta say i'm obsessed with Grilka, and we needed an entire spinoff series with her 100%. right
1: I she's pretty awesome of the House
2: of Grilka, just that um and i think that as much as Fabulously awesome because Missy hit the nail on the head as far as like this is peak DS9, definitely top episodes for me. The again they do the nice thing that uh is really great with DS9, where there's two kind of parallel storylines where you have, you know, Cork finding himself in this, you know, definitely not working out relationship. <laughs> you know, definitely opposites right. um, attract, not really great. But then at the same time, you have Chief O'Brien and his wife, and as he's like you know schools closes down she's dealing with depression and feeling you know very very useless and he is desperately trying to figure out like what he can do to help her out with that so um you just you come in and i i think it's just a really great way and i think that he comes in for you know best husband award and i think rom comes in for best little brother award
1: oh totally yeah yeah you're right i i totally can kind of, my brain kind of blanked out on the dead chief of side story but that was awesome Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, uh, okay, it's your turn. Um, episode four is yours.
2: Yeah. So we have Equilibrium, which was directed by Cliff Bull. You have a story by Christopher Teague. That's right. Teague. Yeah. I believe so. by um, Rene uh, Echeverra uh, and it aired October 17th of 94. And this is a secret from Dax's past. Could mean the end of the current host's life. So um, this, again, I love uh, Dax and everything about them and her race. And so it was really great to see um, kind of like the, the, the dirty underbelly.
1: Mm, of, of yes. That was going on. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Cause it, it's very skeevy. Yeah. yeah. Dax gets these memories that she can't explain. Uh, and you know, this leads him back to the Troll home world so she can go to the big doctor. And then, yeah, immediately there's, there's a conspiracy that ends in mm-hmm. uh, finding out that uh, the Dax symbiote had been host to uh, basically an unworthy uh, uh, I don't want to use the word donor, uh, uh, an unworthy pairing, yeah, host in, in the distant past, who the guy turned out to be a murderer. Uh, and they were like, yeah, we're going to erase those memories because if people knew that our, you know, screening process wasn't as good as we thought it was, we're, we're screwed. Um, because, yeah, then then symbiotes will basically, they'll, they'll be on eBay. People will just be buying and selling them. It'll be a mess. Mm-hmm. Trill eBay. Ooh, that could be another name for this episode. I like it. <laughs> um, Fun fact before we get kind of Missy's thoughts is that this is the episode um, canonically star date wise that it coincides closest with the beginning of Star Trek Voyager. So at some point during this episode is when Voyager kind of passed through and then went on to end up in the Delta Quadrant. If you look at the star dates, if you're a nerd like that, which I happen to be. Um, so yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was that was my fun fact. Missy your thoughts.
0: Uh I liked this episode in far as far as with the, you know the counselor the psychology brain working between you know Cisco trying to figure out whatever he can do to save you know to save the old man and to save his new crew member but at the same time you have the doctors being like we screwed up so bad we have to just get rid of this
1: Yeah right you know? give so- me my shovel <clears throat>
0: Right. <laughs> right. We, we tried to kill this the nice way. Now we're going to have to do it the not nice. Way. <laughs>
3: yes. But,
0: but I mean, if you look at it at baseline, it's an ethical dilemma for both sides. So how, you know, how otherwise do you come to this conclusion other than ultimately, obviously they save it so everybody can win, but
1: right,
0: I liked I like the, di- the, the mental dichotomy of this is an ethical issue, not only for one side, but for both parties. And they're both doing what they think and what they feel is best, even if it's not on both sides. So I like right.
2: very Star Trek where it's like no one's really like wrong per se, but we're rooting for one side because we're
0: familiar with our story more so than the other. Correct. Very but you can true. also take a step back and be like, but I also kind of get where they're coming from. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right, exactly. exactly.
0: Like Which is the, beauty.
1: yeah, the absolute beauty of Star Trek and kind of how they do what they do. So, no, I totally agree. So, uh, cool. Missy, If you feel like, uh, no, no, you're Now it's my turn. Now it's my turn. Damn it. Uh, episode five is second skin, uh, directed by Les Landau. Robert Hewlett Wolf did the writing from October of 1994. Kara kidnapped by Cardassian. So that really rolls off the tongue. I like that. Surgically altered to look Cardassian told that she is actually an undercover Cardassian agent so great uh, episode that actually does end up getting a sequel uh, in season five uh, but yeah she is uh, b- b- rumored to be this um, oh my god and I'm going to draw on a blank what's the name of the char- what's the name of the um, character they're telling her that she is
2: Um. oh um do, 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 do.
1: make me click on the link oh good i did link these i'm so i'm so smart yeah. well, i say i know that get- iliana is it Ileana Gamora. Yep. yeah yeah because it's Legge yep. Gamora, who's a big is her is, is the character's father he's a cardassian political bigwig um and yeah so he gets nabbed she gets nabbed and what we find is surgically redressed, even though they're telling her, well, we just restored the way you're supposed to look. And obviously with Cardassians in general, the whole thing is a flim flam and it's, it's, it's basically, it's a big political exercise because it's one dude trying to take down this leg at Gamor because he is actually a political dissonant kind of under the radar. And the, you know, the central command wants to expose him. And, and so they use this uh, thought of his lost a daughter to, to try to do that uh, and in the end of it, Kira figures it out and figures out that the whole thing is BS just in time for our heroes to show up and rescue him. So we get a lot of nice Garrick uh, kind of, this is Garrick's first trip back to Cardassia during the series and, uh, you know, in the end of it uh, you know, Garrick gets to shoot the bad guy, which is awesome because, you know, it's always good to see <laughs> Garrick, Garrick being Garrick. Um, but this is cool. I love the Cardassian episodes because they're so layered in the way that they're, you know, it's the snake eating the tail. They're always trying to find ways to screw each other over uh, even when you find a Cardassian who's essentially a good guy, the way that this leg at Gamor is. So yeah, I love I loved this episode. I thought it was great. And again, it got um a sequel in season five, but you never really found out what happened to Ileana. I'm sure she died or and they're never necessarily resurfaced. Because even in that season five episode, so two two years, you know, chronologically after this, she has still not been found. So I don't know. What did you guys think, Missy?
0: Um, I found this one pretty interesting, uh, again, from the psychological standpoint, you know, smacks of Stockholm syndrome. You know, they have Kira, they've, you know, restored her to her former Kardashian self, so they say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't know the exact time frame. She's down there more than, you know, 43 minutes, obviously. But by the end, to be actually, like, you know, I was solid in that I knew who I was. I knew, you know, I knew the core. And then now, like, crap, am I actually, like where is this part of me that I can't unlock? Why can't I get back to these core memories that I have? If I really am this Cardassian that I'm supposed to be. Right. You know, so I, I like that. I like the mental play, the mental play of star Trek is always fascinating. To me
1: right. So and nobody does it better than the Cardassians, particularly by, you know, back in TNG uh, with Picard and the, there are four lights, you know, in the chain of command. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Most deaf K.
2: Yeah. Um. Again, like you were saying, Cardassians just, I really appreciate how fully realized their culture and, their psychology was um, because you get great episodes like this where there's always the political intrigue between like the Obsidian Order and you know the um, Central Command where you know that there's these two kind of power structures that are kind of frenemies, um, and so you see them always trying to undermine each other and there's just this constant struggle to see who can get the upper hand and. In- you know, very much in a way where this is one of the main people. Gamora's a main character from central command and that sitting order is like, mm. but you know, let's see if we can just like tempt you to right. sneak you out. Because the thing is, even if he wasn't a dissident, if he genuinely believes, cause he's not let in on this. He doesn't know that his, this isn't his daughter. He genuinely right. believes this is his daughter. So with Cardassians, it's always family first. So I could see it where I'm like, he, probably would help her escape if he knew she was going to be tortured because he thinks it's her his daughter. Yeah,
1: kind of sorta. <laughs> but yeah. just oh my goodness.
2: They put him in a real rock and hard place and I I just again, I really enjoyed it cuz I'm watching it and I'm like shit, is was Kira a plan?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, because you're right at any point it could have ended up being yeah. true.
2: Because they did <laughs> such a great job Building a case and right. making it seem like this was true. And so you get to go through with Kira and with her self-doubt and with her losing that kind of sense of strong self that you she's really kind of renowned for. I mean, if there's one thing Kira knows, it's who she is and what she stands for. And watching right. that fall apart really was shaking, you know or was disorienting as an audience
1: right right especially when they rolled out the you know the mannequin that looked exactly yeah. like yeah it's like oh shit you know this could really be the deal so no oh, man nuts well,
0: and, and, to, and to bounce off that like you know sk pointed out there's nothing higher in cardassians than what family means so to end mm-hmm. the episode with kira being like here's your family heirloom that should go to your daughter and to him to give it back and be like you're the closest i've had to a daughter i was like oh my uh, god my heart right? okay yeah sorry. exactly <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm okay i'm not crying oh my You're god and i'm not crying oh, boy. Cry, it's
2: just raining on my face
1: exactly <laughs> correct all right moving along uh next one's uk all
2: right so um we have uh know, the abandoned by yes and directed by d thomas or written by d thomas mario and steve warnick and it aired october 31st of 1994 happy halloween Quark purchases a salvage ship from the Gamma Quadrant and discovers an infant on board. Cisco invites Marta, the Daba woman. Oh, yeah, Marta.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we have lots
2: to
0: say about
2: her. We have lots to say about Marta.
3: Oh, my the Daba goodness. Woman,
2: Jake is interested in to dinner. Odo officially gets quarters aboard DS9. Marta is a predator.
3: Marta, Marta is a
1: predator. Lord. Yeah, right. Marta Jake, is a predator. <laughs> yeah, Jake is 16 and she's like 22. And yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, no, pre- really yeah.
2: she's 20, is the predator <laughs> But I'm like, if this situation was reversed and this was a guy going after a 16 year old girl, there is no way that this would be played off for lack so predator behavior.
1: Exactly. What, yeah.
2: What 20 year old who was a war orphan? What does she have in common with some 16 year old army brat? Come on. Yeah. Exactly. Who
0: happens to be the son of the commander. That's a wink. coincidence. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> wink. Yeah. Grooming behavior. She's a
1: groomer. Oh my gosh. Yes, you're right. And and obviously that. That being the B story uh, of this episode, because the A story is the. And again, I yeah, think this, the B story. Yeah, I think the synopsis the synopsis of this episode kind of sucks. A this was directed by Avery Brooks, who is Cisco, um, who is obviously the Star Trek actor we never hear from anymore because he may have gone nuts. We're not sure, um, but he, he's really off the radar. But yeah, the the infant that that is discovered uh, aboard this junk that Quark purchases from the it's the uh, the Boslik freighter captain who we see a couple of times is very sexualized in her. Purple outfit with her purple hair, and oh my goodness! Uh, it turns out to be a gemidar, and so actually, this episode teaches us a lot about the gemidar and their physiology. How they—they're uh, a genetic contract. They're, they were invented by the the founders slash the um, the uh, the Vorta, who are the the middlemen. You know, we haven't even met. Jeffrey Combs is way owned by this point. We don't get him until next season. Um, but we learned that the the Jem'Hadar are genetically addicted to this substance, Ketracel white, that if they don't get it after a certain period of time, they will go nuts, uh, and then they will die. Uh, so, they're, they're essentially drug-addicted soldiers, which, you know, you know that that's not so great. So, yeah, you're right. Right back to the fascism of the the Dominion and of the founders because you know hey you know it's the ends by the means we need you know deeply loyal killer soldiers so let's invent them and then we'll invent this chemical uh, that causes them to be completely obedient to us or they're gonna they're gonna die so um, yeah we learn about this the young Gemidar is played by actor Bumper Robinson who was in a lot of different stuff uh, in the '90s he played one of the Jackson kids in the movie about the Jackson Five which was a favorite of mine it was a TV movie on ABC but you've seen him in a ton of stuff he was in one of those really Bad 90s Fox productions, the X-Men. I think it was Generation X, if you've ever caught that probably. I don't know if that's on your guys' radar, but when Oxford and I were at MSU, that aired. And yeah, he was one of he was one of the, I don't know, all the little if Todd was on, he could tell us. But that's what I remember him from. And he was in some other sitcoms and stuff. So just a very recognizable dude. Um but this was a great character study, I think, You know, learning more about the gemadar but certainly about Odo and him uh, trying to right the wrongs of his own upbringing, because again, he was raised in a lab and he was treated like a lab specimen. And it took some time for him to make amends uh, and, and kind of organize his feelings about Dr. Mora, uh, who is the scientist who studied him when he was growing up. So he was like, I can do it better. You know, I can be a better dad to this gemadar kid. And ultimately, he can't because it's just... It, it just doesn't exist. The Jemadars, the Jemadar are genetically designed killers and, and it, it, there's no nature versus nurture. It's all nature with them is what, what we find out, which is kind of a bummer. So psychologically, Missy, uh, speaking psychologically, Missy, blah, 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 I can I can do words. Um, what's your what's your take on kind of what I what I was blabbering about from a from a psychologist standpoint?
0: Uh, two parts to this episode from a psychological standpoint. The first, as far as like with the Gem Hadar being these neuro compound dependent warriors, uh, I mean, it's kind of, you know, there's the ethical battle that Odo had with Dr. Bashir of like, well, why do I want to give him this chemical? Well, because if you can't see, he's dying. He's in agony. Like, as a doctor, how can you not give him something to help him exist and help him exist pleasantly? You know, that's kind of the moral battle that people have these days and i'm going to go total psychology with like methadone and opiate programs in that Mm -hmm. yes it's something that is it technically still a substance but is it better than nothing else and will it actually help them sure it will so there's a big moral ethical dilemma with that i like how star trek tries stuff into real life but the Odo, you know, the Odo plotline for this, trying to help, you know, like, I can help condition this Gem hadar decondition this Gem Hadar from being his warrior self. I really feel for Odo again, because it seems like every episode, Odo gets like this little carrot of like, look, you can do something really good with who you are. But just kidding, you really can't. and You still have no idea what you're really going to do. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you almost had it. <laughs>
1: Oh, oh! Is that, was that one of those old State Farm commercials? I had like a daughter exactly. on the end. Of, yeah. Oh, oh! you almost got it. Oh, oh.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought of. It's like, oh, poor, every episode I feel like I'm, oh, poor Oda.
1: Oh, one step forward, three he, steps back.
2: His, the um, effort that he put in was kind of downplayed because you get the end season or the end season, the end scene with him and Kira. And he just tells her I was wrong in reference to him being able to help this child. Right. Kind of overcome you know, the genetic modifications and grooming that they've done for him, you know, and it's again, two sides of grooming, Going to throw that back in there, but you, I think in a lot of ways he did help him because he taught him the individuality and the fact that he has a choice to do what he wants to do. And in the end, he chose to go back to the Jem'Hadar and to go back to the Gamma Quadrant to fulfill what he thinks he was supposed to do. I think that for him to just, Odo to just be like, no, I failed. I, you know, I didn't succeed. It's like, no, you still taught him individuality and he still was able to make that choice. Not because he felt he had to, but because he wanted to.
1: All right.
0: Well, and also with that, one of the things that I thought when he had, when Odo said that to Kira is did that also kind of hark back to his own self of I made the wrong choice. Like, did I make the wrong choice? Not staying with my people And did Mm -hmm. I, did I make a mistake coming back here? Because I haven't been able to actually be of benefit at this point in his mind. So that was my thought.
1: Right. For sure.
0: a
2: A really good way to look at it too.
1: I love it. Well, cool. All right. Um, let's wrap this up. I'll take this one on. Uh, episode seven of the season is civil defense, uh, Def- defense, <laughs> civil defense, better than civil offense, uh, directed by Reza uh, Bedial, who's a name I'm not familiar with, uh, written by Mike Crone. So he got two, two people who are not endemic to the series, which sometimes can give you a great script. Sometimes can give you a bad script. Uh, this is from November of 94. Uh, the station is locked down after Jake O'Brien and Cisco accidentally activate an automated Cardassian security program. And uh, like I said, this is a a great episode that has spawned a Wealth of memes out there on the internet with the carol the holding the phaser and uh, uh, with uh, this the screen of Gold Ducat saying, Attention, uh, Kenshin Bajoran workers, and put something else underneath. The program's counterinsurgency measures keep escalating until it initiates an auto destruct. Gold Ducat beams on board but is unable to stop the self destruct sequence. Dun dun dun. So. Like I said, great episode uh, for all the memes it produced. But at the time, it was um, I don't know. It was, it was it was kind of a weird one, you know. Yeah, um, but you get a little bit more Garrick interplay. You get, I think the second, t- the only the second time you end up seeing Ducat uh, and. Garrick in an episode together, and you get a little bit more flavor of how interconnected and terrible their history is, because Garrick, of course, was an agent of the Obsidian Order, which is the, you know, the Gestapo of the Cardassian Intelligence Agency, and at some point, uh, Garrick was responsible for um, imprisoning uh, Ducat's father, and so, yeah, not a, not a lot of love going on I here. Think I,
2: f- I think that Garrick uh, to that would respond, was
1: I? Who, me? <laughs> Hmm. I'm You're not sure. T- what an I'm t-
2: imagination you have! <laughs>
1: to what a story! I've never heard of such a thing. I'm mean, yes, exactly. I'm impressed by your imagination. Always, the, what's true is are the uh, every everything is a lie. Or what's it, what is the the famous interchange they have? So is it, uh, is it all truth? Yes, especially the lies or some. Now I'm mm-hmm. screwing it all up. My bad. um but, yeah, kind of cool. I think that was the most valuable part of the episode. But, yeah, this was your classic, like, you know, oh, God, the computer's going to kill us kind of situation. I loved how Ducat beamed on board and then he tried to uh, strong arm Kara said, you know, I'm happy to rescue you, but I really think it's time to have maybe a Cardassian garrison back on the station. And so, I'm going to let you think about my terms, but I'm going to peace out. And he goes to peace out. And then the <laughs> another Cardassian uh, automated comes on the screen and says, "Ducat, you tried to abandon your post. I I always knew you're a dickhead so you can stay <laughs> there and die <laughs> meow, meow. <laughs> with
2: his yeah <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> boom deuce <Quite> bitches <laughs> yeah exactly so you know in the end obviously you get the you know o'brien and cisco at the last minute figure out how to move all the little thingies around so that the, the, the destructo beams fire off into space and you know how it goes but uh yeah i don't know uh we're, i'm doing all the babbling here missy what do you think about this one
0: uh, my notes for this one is I titled, I retitled it "Every Toddler Ever." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> even, even that is.
1: How did you know that that's what I was typing? <laughs>
0: uh, you know, even looking past like I potentially an overused sci-fi trope of, like, the computer or the ship takes over and we have to battle the technology. Oh, oh the
1: holodeck! <laughs> Damn
0: it! <laughs> Damn it, Dave! Why do you always do this? <laughs> it's like, it seemed like at every turn it became so predictable. It's like, okay, what are we supposed to do? We're gonna do the exact opposite and see what happens. It doesn't matter if it's Cisco's I don't orders, know. if it's computers. computers... Yeah. It's like, you're gonna stay here. I'm gonna immediately follow you on your coattails, or you need to enter this code. Well, I'm gonna try and hack it so i don't have to do that instead of just entering the code that i need let's just see what happens <laughs> what do you do don't shoot at that i'm gonna shoot at it for five times and see what it's every toddler ever i'm gonna every do every exactly toddler what ever oh i shouldn't do
1: oh mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah i love it <laughs> i love it when we have a guest on and they so aptly name the episode
0: Mail it. <laughs>
1: oh good stuff uh kate do we get your input on this one uh,
2: yeah i just thought I mean, this is kind of redundant because technically every Star Trek episode is a ship in the bottle episode, but this really felt like a great ship in the bottle episode because you're just, everything is so contained and you've got these little kind of parallel stories going on where they're all being impacted by the same thing, but they're all trying to figure it out in different ways and they can't communicate with each other. And so it was just, it was just a lot of. Weirdly, it was weirdly fun, despite the really, like, quote, quote, high stakes to it. Um, Right. Again, I loved the fact that Goldicott just totally got his ass, like, schooled.
1: Yeah, dude comes on, Ducat, you suck. And (laughs) you can die now.
2: It's just one of those, again, and Ducat is just such a great villain to hate. Like, you just love to hate him. And the actor does such a great job of, you know, really playing into that because like he's just a skis ball and you know it And right. the actors fully aware of the fact that he's playing a skis ball and he leans into it and so it's just again and i'm always for more garrick always yeah always so i i fully enjoyed this episode i think honestly the entire like seven episodes were very, very strong. It was a really yeah. great
1: start to season three. Yeah, this was this was a great block. And as we always do uh, with the block of episodes, uh, let's have a favorite and a least favorite. And, and Missy, I, I know you're not prepared, but I know you can think on your feet. So go for it.
0: I mean, gee, if I have to say, I'm going to probably have to go with the House of Cork. Just you think? <laughs> really? Are you sure? You I, take, I'm going to go with my gut on this one. Okay,
1: I like it. Gotcha. And what about a duffer?
0: Mmm... Probably equilibrium.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I know. I totally understand. Kay?
2: Um, I'm going to totally copy Missy and say that the House of Quark uh, is my favorite. And then I think the Abandon was probably
1: my weakest. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I love the the epicness of The Search Parts 1 and 2, which I really consider a single episode just because it oh. set everything in motion that really uh, capitalized on the rest of the series and yeah i i agree that equilibrium was kind of the you know yeah it was it was okay but also it was just I don't know, but again, such a strong crop of episodes that it's uh, it's it's tough to really even say that one of them was bad because they were so darn good. It was a great start. So, well, cool. Well, gang, that is all the time we have, um, Missy. Thank you so much. This was awesome. This is the the first of many uh, appearances um, that, that I predict for you on our regular programs. Uh, you've been all over the personnel files on Patreon, getting us those awesome interviews, uh, and then you and I are going to be doing an, uh, an upcoming string of episodes over on the Facts and Geek life talking about quantum leap and then probably some other shows from there so but in the meantime where do people find you out there on the socials
0: uh you can find me on most socials especially i'm most active on instagram at at mama merch 33
1: nice good deal Kay, what about you
2: Um, you can find me on twitter at q uh, qt geek that is q underscore t geek and you can find me on counter social at k quinn and that's k-a-e quinn
1: Awesome. I forgot to read the outro, but we'll do that in a minute. But you can find me uh, over on Twitter at the C3. Uh, My lovely wife, April and I do run the USS Grand Petoskey, which is it's funny when I always say that. I always look at the picture in the corner that I have of our senior staff and I don't have that anymore because I'm in my new studio. So I'm going to have to find a new focal point. You know, my new focal point is the wonderful print that Missy had made of April and myself with my late son, Parker. So there you go. Missy, my new focal point is because of you. But anyway, the USS Grand Petoskey can be found at a website of that name one of the largest chapters of the international star trek fan club in the world based right here in west michigan uh i also run region 13 West michigan and eastern canada so if you're a trekker listening to my voice in that area drop me a line we would love to help you find a chapter um and then finally so we'll we'll, we'll circle this back kate you always do kate, you always do such a great job of our outro so go for it
2: All right. Well, you can find us online at secretfriendsunite.com for all of our episodes, additional content and bios, and our Secret Friends Unite Network stars.
1: Dun, dun, dun. Friends, thank you for joining us. I'm going to say, as always, that sharing is caring, and keep on trekking.
0: And wherever you go, go boldly. And may you always find hope in the stars. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite Podcasting Network.